It's Jeannie, Pistol Packin' Mountain Mama Health Nut. Welcome to today's episode. Today, in All Things Health segment, I'm going to share with you a fairly new concept called sucrose intolerance. Could a person really have a food intolerance to sugar? I'm also going to give you two more weight loss, weight success tips from my top program, so I'm excited about that. Keep listening after the All Things Health segment to my Mountain Adventures segment, where I share a true story about pulling a semi with a tractor up a steep dugway when you're all alone, just one of you. Yeah, it can be tricky. But first, let me share with you a phenomenal product called Immune. And it's that time of year when COVID, colds, and the flu are going around. And most likely you'll come down with something. But you don't have to. If you take precautions now, you can avoid being sick at all this winter. The company called 3 International developed a product called Immune, and it's designed to keep your immune system healthy so you can fight off whatever illness you're going to be exposed to. And I personally take this product, and in it you will find some extraordinary ingredients like quercetin, reishi mushroom, nanosilver, vitamin C, elderberry, vitamin D3, and that's just naming a few. This product is listed in the physician's desk reference, and it's at www.pdr.net. To research and purchase these products, visit genieolson.iii.earth, and both of these websites will be in the show notes. Okay, sucrose intolerance. Is it really a real thing? You know, what is it? Well, apparently it is a real thing. It even has a scientific name. It's called genetic sucrase isomaltase deficiency. And I know it has to do with enzymes because two of the words end in ACE or A-C-E, which means it's an enzyme. Here is the proper definition according to Wikipedia. Now the abbreviation is G-S-I-D, and it's a condition in which sucrase isomaltase, which is an enzyme, needed for proper metabolism of sucrose, which is sugar, and starch, like grains, is not produced or is partly or not functional at all in the small intestine. If the sugar is not broken down in the small intestines, it's then passed on to the large intestine where intestinal bacteria digest it, and that's what causes the symptoms to occur. So what happens if you don't have this enzyme or it doesn't work properly? What are the symptoms? Abdominal cramps and bloating, diarrhea and constipation, vomiting, wow, those sound fun, hypoglycemia, Also, maybe that's why I have struggled with hypoglycemia and low blood sugar for the last 38 years, because sugar makes me so sick. But anyway, you can also get headaches, increased weight gain, upper respiratory tract and viral diseases, anxiety and heart palpitations, and excess gas production. Now, my first question was, is this condition genetic? Well, it can be genetic. It's caused by a mutated gene that both parents have, and it's passed on to the child. However, it can also be caused by IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, aging, or something called small intestine disease. Now, can you be tested for this sucrose intolerance? Yes, there are specific tests that doctors use, and one is called, and apparently it's the most accurate, it's called enzyme activity determination and they take a biopsy of the small intestine. And other tests can also be administered but are not quite as accurate, and that is the sucrose breath test. This is a test where you drink a solution that contains sucrose or sugar and you breathe into a bag like 30, 60, and 90 minutes after. 
I would be so sick. Now, a genetic test can be done to see if the enzyme gene is missing. And there is an at-home test you can do. Is it scientific? No. But it would give you some kind of idea as to whether or not you have a problem. This at-home test is suggested by Dr. John, and I'm going to ruin his last name, but it's Damianos, and he's a physician at Connecticut Yale New Haven Hospital. And he says to do the 4-4-4 challenge, where you stir four tablespoons of sugar into four ounces of water and drink this on an empty stomach. And then he says if you experience the symptoms that I listed above, like bloating, abdominal discomfort, or loose stools, within four hours, you may have sugar intolerance. Now keep in mind this 444 test isn't recommended if you have diabetes or blood sugar problems, but it would give you an idea at least if you thought you might have issues. So what can you do if you have this disease? Well, there are medications you can take prescribed by a doctor. It's called enzyme replacement therapy, and it replaces the action of the missing or deficient enzyme so you can tolerate sugary foods. The other thing you can do is eliminate the consumption of foods containing table sugar or starch sugars. Now, I've never been tested for this, but I had to completely cut out white table sugar and starchy foods with that had a high glycemic index like white potatoes. A white potato for me is just like eating a candy bar. They both make me sick. But I will tell you it's worth it to me, because I would rather feel better than be sick. If you haven't listened to my episode titled, I Had to Give Up Sugar, I encourage you to give that a listen because it explains why I had to eliminate sugar and also I tell how I did it because it's not easy. I also encourage you to listen to my episode titled Why Give Up Sugar. I firmly believe that it would be far better to change your diet and throw out the sugar for good rather than take an enzyme. Sugar is known to cause inflammation in the body. It affects your brain and can be addictive. It causes you to age faster, which is a bummer. It also taxes your pancreas by making it produce insulin over and over. Sugar can also make you gain weight. It can overwork your kidneys and cause leaky gut syndrome. And who knows, maybe I'll get tested someday to see if I'm missing the enzyme. But even if I am, I won't go back on the sugar just because of the harmful effects it has on the body. Okay, I thought that this was just an interesting um, subject and it's been pretty recent in the news and in articles and so I just wanted to share the sucrose intolerance with you and I do hope that you found it helpful or interesting. But now I'm going to go on to the TOT suggestions. But before I give you two more weight loss weight success tips, I'd like to talk a minute about water consumption. Drinking water was a TOT suggestion, uh, was number four that I gave in a previous episode and I told you to drink half your body weight in ounces every day. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you should drink 100 ounces of water, and this is true. But what I should have added was that you should drink your allotted amount of water throughout the day, not all at once. And I'd also like to mention that if you're exercising, add electrolytes to your water. And electrolytes would be salt, magnesium, potassium, and calcium. And there's some good ones on the market that you can buy, but I would stay away from Gatorade. Okay, here's taught suggestion number seven, and it's vegetables. Vegetables are an important part of a healthy diet, and most of you already know this. But some people either choose not to eat them, maybe you don't like them, or just maybe you aren't sure how to get them into your diet. 
When it comes to weight loss or weight success, this is one food item that you will need to add to your diet every day no matter what. But how much? And what kind of vegetables? So first, what kinds? Dark green leafy vegetables are of course the best, like spinach, kale, broccoli, beet greens, romaine lettuce. But don't forget the lighter colored greens because they have nutrients in them as well. And some examples would be cabbage or asparagus, which isn't necessarily light green, but it's not dark either. And some vegetables aren't green at all, like red bell peppers. The idea is to get an array of colors in your diet, but how do you do this? Well, your first step is to make a list of all the vegetables you like, no matter what color they are, and then just stick to these for a while. Even if you only like four different vegetables, that's okay. And when you go to the grocery store, try to buy fresh if you can. And then frozen is the next best, and it's sometimes easier because they don't spoil as fast. I don't recommend canned as much, but sometimes it's good to have at least some canned goods on hand. Now, unless you can can your own vegetables at home, and they are far better than store-bought. If you do buy store-bought canned vegetables, make sure, of course, to read the labels. The least amount of ingredients on the label, the better. I actually seen some canned corn once that had sugar added to it. That really surprised me. And it's good to have canned foods around because you never know when you'll have an emergency and you'll need them. So I'm not discounting them at all. I'm just saying fresh is, of course, best. Now, how much should you buy? Okay, so you buy enough for a week. So if you have three meals a day, plan on at least two of those meals having vegetables. So you would buy enough greens for 14 meals that week. And remember to use your hands for the serving sizes like I suggested in the tot suggestion number two in a previous episode. One serving is the size of both of your fists. Now you'll need to sit down and figure out just how much you'll need for the week. But once you do it a couple of times, it will become easier and easier. And you will be less inclined to purchase too much and then end up throwing it away. Don't worry if you eat the same vegetables every day for a while. Eventually, you'll want to try some different ones. And remember to buy more if your family will be eating them with you as well. Now, salads are a great way to get your greens in. If you prefer them cooked, a great idea is soup. Another way you can do it is to steam the vegetables. But let's say you have frozen veggies and you just want to boil them. Well, then save the water you boil them in and add it to a soup or a protein drink because it has a lot of nutrients in it as well. If you take some time and plan, you can get pretty creative. And there are a lot of ideas online to help with this as well. Okay, tot suggestion number eight is soda pop. If you haven't listened to my episode titled Soda Pop in a Lightning Storm, I encourage you to give it a listen. And I explain why it is one of the worst beverages you can drink. Now I know it's it's just easy to say throw it out of your diet, And some people can quit cold turkey. And if you can do that, great. But if you feel you may be addicted to it, yep, that's possible, then try the trickle and trade method that I explained in a previous episode. The idea being you trickle down how much you drink and trade up for a better option. So here is an example. If you have one soda a day or seven sodas a week, replace two sodas that week with a flavored water. So you would only have five sodas that week and two flavored waters. And then the next week, replace three sodas with flavored water so you drink four sodas and three flavored waters that week. 
and keep replacing the soda until by the sixth week you're not drinking any more soda. Now if you drink more than one soda pop a day, you can still use the same concept. Replace one soda a day with flavored water. If you're not a fan of flavored water, then like green tea or black coffee is another great option. As I end this All Things Health segment, I just want to remind you to feel free to email me if you have any questions, because I'll definitely respond. And remember to keep working on the previous six suggestions in the last episodes, and then add today's suggestions to them. If you're just starting, then do these two suggestions today that I mentioned, and then go back and listen to the other taught suggestions, and then work on implementing them into your daily routine. Well, I hope you found these ideas helpful, and I'd love to hear your story. Are you having success? What are your struggles? And please leave me a rating and a review and hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And one last thing, do you know one person who would benefit from this episode? If you do, please share it with them. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, stay tuned for Mountain Adventures. Before I share my Alone with a Stranded Semi-Truck story, I'd like to share a short story about normal, everyday living on our ranch in the Rocky Mountains of East Idaho. It definitely has its challenges. It was just getting dark one hot summer evening. My husband Nick and I had just finished dinner, and I had a special treat for our dogs, Ben and Belle. Whenever we have meat, which is quite often, I add water to the drippings, I heat it up and add bread, and make what my mother used to call yum-yum. It was a dish eaten a lot during the Depression. She ate it as a little girl, and so did I. I loved it. Well, this particular night, I didn't add the bread, but I wanted to share this yum-yum with the dogs. I carefully divided the broth into equal portions. Now, Ben always gets the frying pan since he's king, and Belle gets her portion in a bowl. I had my husband Nick open the door for me since I was carrying both containers, and he grabbed the flashlight for me since we don't have any yard lights, and then he put the flashlight in one of my hands. I was barely holding on to it and the bowl. And then he shut the door so the moss wouldn't fly into the house. That's when the bats, yes, bats, started dive-bombing me. I could see their silhouette, and they were huge. They seemed bigger this year for some reason. So I immediately crouched down and, of course, screamed, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I thought Ben and Belle would come running to me since I screamed so loud, but they didn't. They were laying on the grass at the bottom of our concrete stairs that lead up to our house. I say up because our house sits on a little hill. In fact, there are 18 stairs to climb to get back to our back door. So here I am in the middle of the dark, crouched down walking like a duck, holding a pan in one hand and a bowl in the other, both with hot liquid and balancing a flashlight with my thumb and forefinger and watching for bats that might fly in my hair. I hollered for the dogs to come, and they just looked at me. I swear them say, Why come to you when clearly you are coming to us? I couldn't believe it. Now, I understand Ben's situation. He's older, and he has arthritis in his back hips. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with Belle. So I waddled all the way down to where they were, yes, like a duck. And I told them matter-of-factly, You guys suck, just so you know. They didn't seem to care that I was in possible danger of being bitten on the neck by a bat. 
They just lapped up the yum-yum. They stopped and looked at me for just a minute like, who, us? (laughs) And then they licked their chops like that was the best thing they'd ever tasted. Well, after I patiently waited for them to finish, I waddled like a duck all the way back up the stairs and into the house. And I thought to myself, how do you like that? Well, sure glad I wasn't in any danger or anything. Ah, but I still love my doggies. Well, now about that semi-truck. Since it's just my husband Nick and myself working our ranch, we have to rely on each other a lot. It's just what we do. We're a team. I will say that we've had some awesome help over the years from our kids, brothers, brother-in-laws, relatives, and friends. But for the most part, it's just Nick and I. It was late in the summer and Nick needed to get the semi to a field that is up behind our house so he could haul hay with it. I say up because the elevation is 5,965 feet above sea level at our house and it's around 6,500 feet where the fields are. Now to get to this field, we use a very steep dugway that winds up through aspen trees and Douglas fir trees. The road's just a narrow dirt road that has crevices in it because heavy rains wash the dirt off and then it leaves the road full of ruts. So it's a challenge to drive up this road, even in a four-wheel drive pickup. It's always nerve-wracking when he drives a semi up this dugway. Even more nerve-wracking is when I have to help him. But he assured me he would be fine. He didn't need any help. So I left to, uh, to go do my seasonal water measuring job. Nick headed up the dugway, going slowly because he was pulling a trailer behind him, and he needed to make the corners without hitting any trees. He told me things were going well. He was making his way safely. And just before he got to the top of this dugway, it forks into two roads. One road is not as steep, but it has a sharp corner, and it's usually slick with mud because the sun doesn't hit that part of the road. So he decided to take the steeper road that is straighter. But (laughs) just before he gets to the top, he spins out. Oh, great. So to stop, he had to push the clutch in and then hit the brakes. But all of a sudden, he lost the air brakes. Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't riding with him. Now, when he lost the air brakes, this engaged the parking brakes, which locks the back wheels up on the truck, so they wouldn't hold him, and he began to slide backwards. Yes, backwards. Now, Nick knows what to do in situations like this. Steer the truck into the bank. So that's what he did. So he was safe and stuck. After investigating as to why he had lost the air brakes, he discovered he'd blown a hose and it was leaking air. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon when he called me. I was still in town, which is about 40 minutes from our house. He needed some parts ASAP, so I headed right to the parts store. I had about an hour before they closed. And the whole time I'm getting these parts, I was thinking to myself, Oh, great. Now he would have to pull the semi to the top of the dugway with the tractor, and guess who will be driving the semi? Yep, me. I was kind of in a state of panic, actually. When I nudged Nick a little to see if I would be the one driving the semi, he assured me I wouldn't be. He would ask our friend John to help. Phew, that was a close one. By the time I made it home, it was too late for Nick to work on the truck, so he'd have to fix it in the morning. The parts he needed were to release the parking brake so he could move the semi. Well, when morning came, I was still in just a slight state of panic. I was getting ready to go to work, and I nonchalantly asked Nick if he needed my help, since I knew John wouldn't be close by to help. 
oh, how I was praying he didn't. And luckily he said, no, he'd be fine. He could do it by himself. He'd be safe. Okay, so I asked him, how are you going to do it by yourself? You have, you have two things to drive. And he said, oh, it's easy. I'm going to just use two bungee cords. Bungee cords? Do I really want to know? Not really. Sometimes it's just better for my own sanity to not ask questions. So I didn't ask any. I just left and headed to work. I was surprised when I got home that afternoon that he had pulled the semi with the tractor to the top of the hill and he had it parked in the field where it was flat so he could work on it. Of course I was curious, so just how did he do it? He explained to me his plan of action. Now I shouldn't be surprised. He's gotten himself into and out of some pretty scary situations all by himself. So here's what he did. When the semi started going backwards after he lost the air brakes, he wasn't able to put the truck into the bank until he had slid past where the, the road forked into two roads. So instead of pulling the semi up the steeper road, he decided to pull it up the road that had the sharper corner but wasn't as steep. Now here's where his scary genius comes in. He hooked a chain onto the semi and hooked that onto the back of the tractor. He started the semi and turned the wheels to the direction he wanted them to go, and then he hooked one end of a black rubber bungee cord on the steering wheel and the other end of the bungee onto the gear shift. Oh gosh. Now this would hold the tires in place. Then he got in the tractor and he pulled the semi until he needed to turn the wheels again and readjust the bungee cord. When he wasn't in the tractor, he hooked one end of a bungee cord on the steering wheel and the other on a bar next to the door handle in the tractor. The tractor has power steering, so sometimes the steering wheel will move a little on its own. And here is where he got his 10,000 steps in for the day. He would pull a semi with the tractor, get out of the tractor, fix the steering wheel in the semi, get back in the tractor and pull it some more, going about 10 feet at a time. He told me he was in and out of the tractor at least 30 times. He said it took him about 15 minutes to get the tractor up in the field. Of course, he said, Ish, it would have been faster if you were helping me. <laughs> I'm not sure about that because it would have been hard for me to steer passed out in the driver's seat because I would have been scared to death. But you know, I'm proud of his ability to problem solve, especially when he is alone in the mountains. And most of all, I'm glad he got out of the jam safely. Hey, Never a dull moment on the NBRO Ranch. Remember this, when you've done everything you can do, that's when God will step in and do what you can. He loves you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. See you next time.